Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team, and today our podcast features a man whose 62-year career as a vet and dairy farmer has helped build a remarkable level of knowledge on herd health and dairy farm management. Jacob Malmo has owned dairy farms in Gippsland since the late 1960s, while also practicing as a vet in the McAllister Irrigation District for almost seven decades. In this episode, Jacob will be sharing his extensive knowledge of transition cow management from the perspective of a farm owner and a vet. Speaking with Gipps Dairy Extension Officer Karen Romano, Jacob runs through his approach to the, tr- the pre-calving transition period, as well as giving some insight into how his transition feeding program contributes to his overall farm system and profitability. Sit back and enjoy this short chat with a man who would have forgotten more about dairy farming than most of us will ever know. So Jacob, can you just uh, give us a little bit of history um, about your dairy farm businesses, uh, how long you've had the farms in operation, um, the size, cow numbers and those sorts of details? Uh, I started dairy in dairy farming in partnership with my father uh, in the late 60s. We started with 60 cows. Um, now between two farms, uh, Boysdale milking about 650 cows, uh, to 850 cows, um, strictly seasonal calving, crossbred herd, um, not a particularly high production cow per such, but production per kilogram milk solid per cow is very good. And that's what pays the bills. And for listeners who aren't based in Gippsland, your farms are based in the McAllister Irrigation District. And so both farms are flood irrigated. They're a um, a combination of the traditional flood irrigation, a fair amount now of um, pipe and riser irrigation, and the Boysdale farm still has a significant amount of bike shift irrigation. Both and farms look through rotary sheds. Thank you. And tell us a little bit about your cow type, because you've worked very hard uh, with the type of animal that, that you have in, in your herd. So w- why is that important to your farm business and your operation? As I said earlier, we are a strictly seasonal calving dairy herd. We want our cows to calve in August and September. Um, we have selected, uh, at the risk of offending the Holstein breeders, um, we have watched the decline in Holstein fertility, and that's well documented, over the last eight years. Improving now, we couldn't afford to live with that. so. Many years ago, I fronted a meeting in Melbourne. I forget the name of the guy from America who spoke about crossbreeding and the benefits thereof. And he spoke about three-way crosses, the, uh, the additional benefits you get from the three-way cross. So since that time, the Tanamba farm has been working on a three-way cross in probably the last six or seven years, the Boysdale farm. And, and so um, typically those animals um, are uh, sitting around what, the 500 kilos of, of live weight, so medium framed. Four, four, 480. 480, yeah. And I reckon the average is around uh, uh, 520 kilogram milk solid per annum. Yeah, It works at about 1.1 kg live weight. Yeah. And typically on those farms, um, you have a focus on pasture. So um, for, for our listeners, um, what would you normally uh, consume on your farms in that environment with irrigation per year? Uh, around about hands thir- 12 to 13 tonne, 12 to 13 tonne of pasture. Yeah. So a strong focus. Many years ago, I said I would never go over 0.8 tonne of concentrate 
per cow per year. Have not been able to stick with that as our stocking rates have got higher. We start with low levels in the spring, but increase in the summer and autumn. And I think that leads in pretty well to your, your business philosophy. Um, so the type of farming system that you've had. So you've indicated that lower um, on the lower side of grain feeding. What else is important for you um, with, with the, the businesses that you run? What drives it? Well, the number one profit driver is trying to harvest pasture. Um, so on one of the farms, we still manage pasture and measure pasture on a weekly basis. Um, use urea reasonably extensively, look after fertiliser, um, but we're basically aiming at a low cost of production system. Yeah. I know if we put in more inputs, we'll get higher production, and in favourable years, that's okay, but high risk. So we'd sort of stay down the lower end of the scale and run a profitable farm every year drive your margins. Excellent. So I think um, part of the reason we're getting together today is to, to understand um, through your years of experience, through yourself and through um, through Hans, who works with your farm, one of your farms, um, what you've done with transitioning your cows, so you transition cow management, because I think your system that you use is, is quite um, a bit simpler than, than in other areas. And I guess it'd be great for us to have a bit of an overview of um, what transition looks like uh, for your herd. Okay, well, when transition cow management and transition feeding became more popular around, say, give or take 15 years ago, at least as I saw it, the initial uh, emphasis was on reducing the change in feed from before calving to after calving and minimising milk fever. And they wanted me to feed about two kilograms of pasture. And after calving, looking at going up to 10 and 12 immediately after calving. To me, that's a fairly savage change in, in diet. Mm, yes. So we decided to try and look. We're only feeding two kilograms of grain when the cows calve. So we, are, we would prefer to keep them on higher amounts of grass pre-calving. And then they step up further post the calving. So tell us a, a little bit um, through your knowledge wearing your vet's hat, um, is there a risk for some businesses putting in more pasture into the diet? Absolutely. Um, we take steps to minimise this risk and I'll, we'll discuss how we do this. Uh, many people would not get away with the type of system we run. Yes. If they were feeding higher levels of grain immediately after calving, I don't think this system would work for them. I can't guarantee our system will work for anyone else either. Yeah. But we're doing it for 12 years on one farm, probably eight on the other, and have had no problems and it is much less costly and much easier to implement than the full gamut recommended with transition feeding. Now, Jacob, I think there's something you've touched on there, that, which is really important. You've done this for nearly 12 years. Yes. Would you say uh, one of the keys to the success of the, the system that you have in place relates to communication and that everyone knows what to do and why to do it and, it, and the boxes are ticked? Can you comment on that and the importance can, of it? I can. We know at the beginning of the... No. As soon as the cows calve, in a way, we're nearly preparing for next year's calving. 
maintain looking after body condition, um, early pregnancy testing so we know when the cows are calved. But one of the key points we believe is critically important to our business is to supplement the cows with calcium carbonate around 150 gram in the form of calciferols every day of the year through their lactation. Um, I feel like last night just for a, a bit of an exercise, I pumped our feeding regime into ruminate. And without that calcium carbonate, we provide about 60% of the required calcium. When we put in 150 grams, we're just slightly above it. Mm. It is very cheap. I can yeah. give you many other reasons why we think it's worthwhile. We, um, but that's the first of our keys. The second, throughout the year, we feed MAGE, a form of magnesium. Magnesium is important, both to prevent grass tethering, not common in this area, but also aids in the absorption and mobilization of calcium. So the two go hand in hand. And we believe part of, a big part of the reason for the system working is the fact we're supplementing with these throughout the year. Cheap and yep. can be just fed with a mineral dispenser, no problem. Uh, and so the mineral dispenser is in the, within the dairy when you're doing that yeah. throughout the year? Yeah. Mineral dispenser underneath the silo, just goes yep. into the grain, might be 100% accurate, but they're getting a fair dose every day and it has worked for us. Want to understand what you do with your animals in the transition period and um, how many animals that you might be managing at that time to start with, Jacob? Okay, Karen. Important to realise that we work very hard at getting our cows in calf early. So nearly half of our cows are pregnant in the first three weeks of mating. Therefore, there's up to 400 cows initially in the first transition group. So it's, not little, it's not a little Mickey Mouse group to play with. Mm. Um, so we've got to do everything we can to make the management system simple. So we know their calving dates, three weeks, there's 400 in the group. Mm -hmm. um, they're fed a diet, and this will make many people faint, six, around six kilograms of pasture per cow per day. Oats and hay, around three kilograms, and we try and source oats and hay we don't grow ourselves, this is one bought in feed, and we try and source this so it is a, a low potash, oat and hay. So hang on, so just to take a step yep. there with you, um, your oat and hay, how are you determining that it is, when you say low potash, you're indicating it's got a low DCAT, so yes. dietary cation anion balance. So are you getting that tested? Are you sending... commonly, We commonly get it tested. Not always, we can't always do it. If people, if there's a lot of demand and not much to buy, people will say take it or leave it. But wherever we can, we like to get it tested yep. um, to try and minimise the potash in that hay. Yep, yep, okay. So you're feeding up six kilos? Three six. kilos of homegrown silage. So they're getting pre-carving around, around 12 kilogram of uh, feed per cow per day. The anionic salts, and to that we add, Anionic salt, a very simple anionic salt. Uh, magnesium chloride, 150 gram of magnesium chloride per cow per day administered in the drinking water. Half a put in the morning and half in the afternoon. So how are you doing that, Jacob? Just can you step us through how you add it to the drinking water? Um, and uh, particularly with that large group of animals, you'd be moving paddocks frequently as well, I'd imagine too. Okay. So 
you tell us how well, you twice, have confidence? Every, twice a day, we know how much, how many kilogram we have to add to the trough. It is simply a bucket full or whatever is required, goes into that trough. They have that during the day, the night, the night paddock, new trough, re, or, or if it's staying in the same paddock, the trough is topped up again. It's a simple, physical way of doing it in a bucket. So when it's placed in the trough, are you actually physically uh, stirring it uh, for it to dissolve or um, how does that work? It dissolves by itself well. So, um, so you've added the mag chloride into the, into the trough um, yep. and that's how you're trying to uh, use your form of um, uh, anionic salts uh, to help the and animals. Also we ensure that the paddock, the transition cows are in, has not been fertilised with potassium potash fertiliser in the last six months and certainly has not had effluent. This is becoming a little more difficult because we're getting more and more of the farm over which we're able to spread effluent. But we, we keep working at that. And just to um, for explaining that, that's to ensure that um, the, the pasture that you're feeding those animals doesn't have that high decad, that high positive yeah. charge, which yeah. we're trying to avoid yeah, right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, when they're fed that uh, the diet with the silage and the hay, is that um, divided between the morning feed and, and the night feed, or you just no, feed? One feed, one feed. One feed. Yep. We are doing everything we can to make it a simple system which can be managed without having to employ extra staff or make it too hard on the, on the team working the farm. And so when you're feeding um, that diet uh, to those animals, that it's just, if you've got 400 cows in the paddock, are they all staying in that same mob when they commence calving or um, what do you do with the herd? Um, when it comes up to the start of calving, I guess. Twice a day as the cows calve, the calved cows and calves are pulled out of that mob. So the paddock, so the 400 decreases in number fairly quickly, very quickly. Yeah. And uh, with that system that you've got in place, Jacob, um, what's, what sort of percentages will we be looking at um, in terms of uh, metabolic problems? Because yep. um, that's what we're trying obviously to mitigate. So tell well, us about the effectiveness more, of the program. More than metabolic troubles we're trying to mitigate, but certainly uh, milk fever, let's look straight to milk yep. fever, the incidence about one and a half percent, around 1.5%, which is within our acceptable target range. Most of the cases we get, I think it's fair to say, are not too severe. Hands gives them an IV shot of calcium and they walk away. So we've become, I won't say cocky, but we've become fairly confident with the system such that we check the cows around eight o'clock at night and then people go to bed and don't check the cows until 4.30 in the morning. Despite that, we lose very few cows with, with milk fever. So once a, um, how long does a uh, calved cow stay in the paddock before it's transitioned into um, the milking herd? Within 12 hours, in fact, within 12 hours of calving, she's moved out. Um, that's important from all sorts of reasons, but that's, that's what he's done. And so when she uh, goes into the, the milking herd, what sort of diet would that animal receive at that stage? Okay, as soon as she comes into the, the, the dairy, She's now getting 10 kilograms instead of six of pasture. She's getting two kilograms of a concentrate mix. And we're fairly fussy about this mix if we can. We like one kilogram of wheat, 
300 gram of canola meal and 700 gram of maize. We can't always work on that mixture, um, but we do. But this is the colostrum herd. If you really, we can't put the milk in the vat, but that's the diet the colostrum herd are on. And they also, are they supplemented as well with hay and silage still? Yes, they are. 10 kilogram of pasture, three of homegrown silage, three kilogram of the oat and hay still, plus two kilogram of the mix. So that gives them 18 kilogram of feed for these colostrum cows. You mentioned earlier that you're feeding calcipril uh, to your milking herd. So when does that um, start being added into the milker's diet? Day one, as soon as they calve. And, and it, st it stops when they're dried off. Mm -hmm. And with those animals that transition into the milking herd, uh, is, do you see any incidence of milk fever occurring or is that negated? That, that's included in you know, our 1.5%, a few are before calving, a few after calving. By our supplementing with calcium throughout the year, we markedly reduce the incidence of milk fever occurring at other times of the year. When we first started, when we first started um, uh, feeding more grain in the MID, I go back that far, we started to see an increased incidence of cows going down in four, five, six months after calving. Mm. It stops that. I want to explore um, why you've opted for this um, simple, low-cost um, approach uh, to transition feeding because um, many farmers, um, uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, you need to actually limit pasture, you need to actually um, add ionic salts to the diet, uh, consider lead feeding. And I understand that your, your justification you're going into only a two kilo grain mix. But um, I, I want to understand a little bit more um, why that approach uh, works and, and why, why you've used it. Went down that, that path because we, we, and Hans has pushed me on this, we believed that the traditional fully integrated transition diet is designed for herds that are getting large amounts of grain so they need to be got ready for that large amount of grain. Mm -hmm. Our cows are going immediately onto large amounts of pasture. So giving them bugger all before calving and then large amounts after calving is a fairly large change. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you asked why keep a simple system? I think that answers itself. If a simple system works, why go for a more complicated one? Mm -hmm. yeah, no. If a less expensive system works, why go for a more expensive one? One point I'd make, you know, you talk about our, our simple system, but the latest 2020 publication of Dairy Australia recognises six different systems from the virtually do nothing to the fully integrated system. Because we're at the low production end of the system, no, the low grain input end of the yep. system, we've, been, we've moved to that system and for us, it has worked. And I cannot, cannot possibly see why I'd want to spend four times as much money to get the same result. So part of the reason that we feed, uh, we go through this transition um, period, uh, we've talked about some of the elements, it's because uh, we're we want the diet to be similar when, when I'm moving from a dry cow to a lactating cow. We've talked about using um, this system to help um, prevent some of the animal health problems that we have with our herd. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, the benefits of your um, transition period in terms of fertility? So what, what's your fertility like? 
and is it uh, must be beneficial for you to continue I'm not, keeping I'm not, this? I'm not saying that our um, transition diet is a major factor in our uh, reproductive performance. We put a lot of work into the reproductive performance of our herd. And for many years, I've analysed a fairly large number of cows near my D and herds near my D. And these herds are nearly always at the top with respect to performance. For example, this year, uh, both herds were achieved similar results, but a 90% submission rate, 55% first service conception rate, six weeks in calf rate of 74%, which is very good, mm. and 4% not in calf. Fantastic. So those, those results, I believe, and we must get those results if, if we are to stay seasonal calving. So it's not just transition management. Hands puts a lot of work into getting these cows in calf. It, I won't go through all the things we do. When we're selecting bulls, one of our key criteria is high daughter fertility. And we've been doing that for a long while. So we have bred a fairly, uh, a fairly highly fertile herd. I don't doubt, um, and uh, a couple of things we don't do, I don't metric check the herd because the incidence of metritis seems so low as to make that pretty much a waste of time. And you'll be hard put to find farms consistently getting much better results than that. Oh, no, without a doubt. Um, 4% um, empties within the herd is, is very low in comparison to many herds. And uh, I'm interested to, to touch on Jacob um, as well. He, you, you, you've always been seasonal and you're going to remain seasonal. Um, why is that so important to you and your farm business? A couple of reasons. As the farm owner, I think, for me, it is the most profitable way to run the farm. From the point of view of the people operating the farm, we get a break, the pastures get a break, um, and we are not reliant on, high, on, on continuing high inputs. When we put our figures through dairy base, the productivity is quite high. It is at the top end of the range. So we see no need to change that system so long as we can get cows in car. That's one problem yeah. that Namba Farm has. Occasionally, we get severe floods. We first bought the first dairy farm at Tanamba when the, our next door neighbour come up, came to our house, knocked on the door and said, uh, Jacob, will you buy the farm? I've had enough floods. He'd had four floods in four months. And we got no more for the next 10 years. But that's always something in the back of our, in the back of our mind. The other thing, um, our late lact in late lactation, we're not thinking about getting the last kilogram out of our cows. We're thinking about uh, what's happening to the pasture what the cows are going to do next spring. So we need to ensure we have enough pasture in August and September to keep with our low grain input system. Jacob, can you summarise what you see are the critical um, key points of your uh, transition system and what it does for your business? We believe our transition system is a very simple, low cost system that works. Why do I say it works? We have a very low incidence of milk fever, around 1.5%. We have a low incidence, nearly zero incidence of milk fever not associated with calving. Um, retained membranes are virtually don't occur or very, very rare. We get very good reproductive performance. Mastitis cell count usually sits at around 170 on one farm, 140 on the other. 
low cell count, low incidence of clinical mastitis, and our health issues appear to be well under control. So I think the combination of a low cost system that gives results is why we stick with it. Yeah, fantastic. And, and the, the runs are on the board when we look at those, um, the reproductive performance of your herd as well. Well, Jacob, thank you so much uh, for um, your time today and sharing with us um, a system that works for your business. Um, we understand that it's a little bit different uh, with a higher amount of pasture in the diet, but it sounds like um, you've done enough on the ground uh, to mitigate any issues that might uh, come about with that. And um, it's great to see an easier system in place that's successful. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Karen. Thanks to Jacob and Karen for providing us with some great insights into this important aspect of herd health and nutrition. If you'd like to learn more about transition cow management, you can register your interest in attending a one-day TCM workshop with your local Dairy Australia RDP. Furthermore, a recent exciting development at Dairy Australia has seen the TCM course also transition to an online form where you can attend virtually from the comfort of your, of your own home. The course is delivered in hour-long sessions that run consecutively on a weekly basis across a period of four weeks. Again, contact your local RDP if you are interested in registering for TCM Online. That's it for this episode. You can find 23 earlier Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now.